Today, I want to talk to you about perfect timing. Perfect timing. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to be looking at verses 4 through 7 of Galatians chapter 4. You know, I've realized that there's a time for everything in life. And sometimes as we step into a new season, we realize, yeah, it's the perfect timing for a new season. As many of you already know, D and I have recently stepped in to a new season of our life. Well, several new seasons of our life, I would say, that we are really enjoying. Number one, we're empty nesters. Yay! Uh, our kids are up and grown and out, and we're empty nesters. And I want to just tell all those of you that are heading towards empty nesting, that means your kids are out of the house. Hey, I love my kids and I enjoy them, and they've been one of the greatest joys raising them, but I'm really enjoying having a house to ourselves. And by the way, right about the time we became empty nesters, right at the perfect timing, we also became grandparents. Come on, a big high five to all the grandparents that are out there. You know what I'm talking about, by the way. Um, my, my kids cleared out and moved out, took their stuff out, and now that we're grandparents, we've uh, filled all those empty spaces with uh, jumpers and baby seats and baby toys. It was just, well, it was the perfect timing for a new season. And the passage that I'm going to take our attention to today, it's about perfect timing. If you're here listening to this message, I really want you to pay attention because uh, some of us really don't understand the powerful significance about the perfect timing of the coming of Jesus. And maybe you don't understand the significance about the perfect timing in your life. So I want you to listen up so you don't miss the power of God's perfect timing. I'm going to start reading in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. It says, but when the set time had fully come. Oh, that, that's powerful in of itself. When the set time had fully come. Another version of the Bible says, when the fullness of time had come. In other words, when the perfect timing had arrived. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we may receive the adoption of sonship. Because you are his sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, word of the Lord. So let me talk to you about this idea of perfect timing and what God did in the fullness of time. If you're taking notes, I want to uh, just mention five elements of this perfect timing uh, in God's, in the coming of Jesus. Number one, I want you to understand, yeah, first of all, write it down, the timing, the timing. It says, when the, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. 
Uh, you know, people have asked once in a while, why did Jesus come when he came? Think about it. There were thousands of years before that Jesus had, could have come. Why didn't he come like 20 years after Adam and Eve? Why didn't he come 5,000 years ago? Uh, why didn't he come in the year 2020, Lord help us? Why did he come 2,000 years ago? Well, it's interesting because there are two words for time in the Bible, two primary words for seasons. One is chronos and one is kairos. Uh, for those of you that need a little bit of a uh, lesson in some of the ancient uh, Greek words here. And so chronos means chronological. It's where we get the word uh, chronology from, chronological or sequential time as in a clock or calendar. Here, here it is. The fullness of time means that the set time had fully come. In other words, Jesus came in the right chronology in the calendar, not a day before, not a day after. But why? Well, there were three main things that scholars believe that is the reason that Jesus chose to come 2,000 years ago. Uh, number one, uh, the Hebrews. Uh, scripture and prophecy had been there already to prepare the way. And so uh, the Hebrews had the Old Testament word of God. It had prepared them as a special people, and the people of Israel had gathered together. It was the perfect timing for Jesus to be born into that Jewish culture because Scripture was there, a culture was there. Number two, the Greeks. The language and the culture to communicate, the Greek language, had finally become the common language of that world in that time, like English is the international language today. There hadn't been a common language until then. The Greek language started to spread over all the common world, and so people traded in the Greek language. People knew the Greek language. So when the spread of the gospel was about to come, they had a common language. They had scripture. And lastly, the Romans. Uh, peace, the Roman peace brought about a road system on which the gospel could easily travel. So the Hebrews brought the scripture, the Greeks brought the language, and the Romans, because the Romans conquered the known world, it was the first time that you could really travel in a, in a road system throughout all the known world, because back in then they said all the roads lead to Rome. It was a a travel system that had been created throughout all the world. So if you wanted to spread the good news of the gospel, it was the perfect timing with the Hebrew scripture, the Greek language, and the Roman road. Now, kairos is the second word that's used. And the word kairos, kairos is the right opportune moment when everything comes together. Uh, Kairos is that instant when a door opens and you have an opportunity to walk through it. And so when the fullness of time had come, the Kronos and the Kairos had come together, Jesus, I mean, God had this all planned out. Jesus decided, now is the moment. This is the time 
where God himself would become the God child and be born in this outlying village in the Roman Empire, in Judea, in a town that almost no one knew about, but had been prophesied about, in the town of Bethlehem because it fulfilled prophecy. And he would be born at a time when the message could expand through the Greek language, when missionaries could go out throughout the Roman system, and where people had scripture established to be able to build it on. It was the exact timing for Jesus to come. Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. The mission. So we start out with the timing, and now we go to the mission. Listen, verse four, it says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So first of all, we have the timing. Secondly, we have the mission. What happened? God sent his son. Let me talk to you a moment about that because you can't understand God's perfect timing and what Christmas is all about if you don't capture uh, that God sent his son and the implications of that. Uh, I'm talking about the deity of Christ. John chapter one, the gospel of John, Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the fourth gospel I think summarizes it probably better than any other place in scripture, the mission. It says this, in the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word was with God, capital W, and the, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, through him all things were made, and without him Nothing was made that has been made. Uh, we know that word as the logos is the word. So it's, it's telling us in John chapter one that the logos was, listen, the logos was in the beginning. In other words, the logos has always existed. The logos was with God, was with God the Father, and listen, and the logos was God. Who's it talking about? Well, later on in the chapter, it tells us in verse 14, and the Logos or the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Who's it talking about? It's talking about Jesus. Jesus was the word. He was the Logos. And I want you to notice it says that he was in the beginning. Capture this. Understand this. People say Jesus was born. Yes, he was born, but Jesus always existed. In others, we're not talking about a human being like you and I. We're talking about the incarnate God, the deity of Christ. You can't understand Christmas unless you understand the deity of Christ. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus has always existed. A little boy recently asked me, uh, he came up to me after service. I would say he was probably about maybe seven years old. And he looked at me and he said, hey, pastor, can I ask you a question? His mother kind of nudged him along, pushed him forward. He, he looked at me and said, pastor, well, who made God? And I said, boy, that's a great question. It's hard for us to put our mind around it. But I said to him, if someone would have made God, what would that make him or her? He looked at me with a blank stare. I said, if someone created God, that would make that 
person God. God has never had a beginning and will never have an end. God is an eternal God, which means that he is from infinity past to infinity future. It's hard for our mind to grasp a being that's never had a beginning. And we understand that about God. But can I tell you this? Jesus, it tells us in Scripture, was with God in the beginning. Jesus has never been created. In other words, God, the, God has always ex existed as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is an eternal being. He's existed from before time. He's above time. He's beyond time. And it tells us that Jesus was in the beginning. He was with God the Father. He's always been with God the Father. And he is God. And then it says, and the word, listen, verse 14, the word became flesh. In other words, God, Jesus, who's always been, took on a bodily form. He was never limited to the flesh before. It's astounding. It's amazing. Heaven was shocked when this happened, that God himself, who was never limited to a body, would take on a body that could suffer pain, be hungry, uh, bleed, die. The eternal God of the universe, the omnipotent God of the universe, packaging himself in the form of a mortal human being and being born in a humble manger because he had a mission and a purpose. God sent his son. Now, it's really hard for us to grasp the powerful, deep, compelling implications of the incarnation. And we could study it for centuries as people have and still not even begin to grasp the surface of the implications of God packaging himself in the form of a man, all God, all man, emptying himself of his glory. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 talks about kenosis, emptying himself, never giving up his deity, but giving up the glory that belonged to him to be born in a manger as a humble little baby. Imagine God himself choosing to allow himself to be a being whose diaper is changed. God himself putting himself in a position of dependence on a human being to be breastfed by his mother. God himself packaging himself as a human, frail human being in the womb of his mother and being born like any normal child, yet being all God. And the Bible says that, yeah, the mission in this perfect timing was that God sent his son. Uh, someone that I talked to recently compared it to, hey, uh, my uh, boys, Josiah and Grant, growing up, they loved Legos, loved Legos, and they would spend hours putting these little Lego pieces together, building airplanes and cars and little figurines. And it's one thing to love Legos, but it's another thing to love Legos so much that you would become a Lego so that you could live in that world 
and uh, accomplish a mission in that world. And the infinite God of the universe packaged himself as a child for a purpose. Number three, not only do I want you to understand the timing, the mission, but the method. It says in verse four, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Uh, you know, atheists, of course, and skeptics uh, cannot comprehend or grasp uh, the, uh, first of all, the concept of God or the concept of deity, but they declare that it's biologically impossible for a woman to give birth to a baby, and they are correct in human terms, but this is well, this is not a, just a human story. This is a divine story. Now, there are certain animals, uh, species that are uh, capable of actually giving birth without the interaction of male and female. And um, it's called parthenogenesis, if I'm pronouncing that right. But it's derived from the word virgin and birth. Uh, and... Here's what I want you to understand. That's not what this was. This was a virgin who had never known a man, who had never had sexual interactions with a man that God chose. She was probably only about 15 or 16 years old that God chose and that God decided, notice it says, born of a woman and born under the law that God decided that the God-man, Jesus, would be born supernaturally. And you know the story. The Holy Spirit came upon this uh, virgin girl and said, you will be with child. And the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. And it was through the power of the Holy Spirit, without the intervention of man, that she was inseminated, so to speak, uh, with the divine within her womb and that she gave birth to this child or was impregnated with this child without the natural intervention or intercourse with the man. You say, well, why was that so important? Well, I think the Bible tells us there was a couple reasons that this was important. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So first of all, it was a sign. Jesus was not born like any other child was born. It was a miraculous birth, a supernatural birth. It was the merging of the divine and the human for the birth of Jesus. It was a sign so that people would know this was predicted hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus that a virgin would be with child. Who's ever heard of such a thing? Yeah, who's ever heard of God becoming man? So number one, it was a sign. Number two, it says in Luke, Gabriel tells Mary, the Holy Ghost will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Son of God, uh, the Son of God. And so um, I, want you to, I want you to see here that he's uh, telling us that, uh, they, he, he's telling us about his divine 
origin. So number one, there'll be a sign. Number two, he was born of a virgin so that people would know that he has divine origin. That this is not someone that came just as every human being born of two individuals that love each other and uh, born in a natural way, but that he had divine origin that people would know, therefore, this child is the son of God. So it was a sign. It was to tell us that this child born was of divine origin. And lastly, I turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. It says, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, became a giving spirit. But it is not that the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, the second man from heaven. He's talking about Jesus. The first Adam, the very first man that was born, was built out of the dust and breathed into by God. He's called the first Adam. Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. Why? Well, the first Adam and the second Adam had this in common. They were not born of the seed of man. They were born of the seed of God. In other words, there was no human father involved in their birth. Uh, they were both created without a sin nature. Uh, Adam was born without a sin nature he experienced what theologians call the fall of man, and so his nature was corrupt by sin, and everyone born after Adam was given the sinful sin, uh, sin nature. We, you and I, are born with the sin nature, a proclivity to sin, a predisposition to sin, and given time, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus was born without original sin. In other words, he was born without the sin nature. Now, I don't know exactly how it all works in the divine and the natural, but the, the seed of man was involved in passing down the sin nature. It was bypassed by the Holy Spirit so that Jesus was born of a virgin and there was no original sin in Jesus and Jesus lived a sinless life. He had to, to fulfill the mission and the purpose that he was called to. I'm talking about the divine timing of Jesus. I want you to understand the implications of Christmas more than just a little manger scene that you see under a Christmas tree. I want you to understand the powerful, divine, profound implications that it has for your life and my life. Number four, the purpose. It tells us in this passage, verse five, that he was born of a woman, born under the law, and referring to the Mosaic law, the Jewish law. Listen, verse five, to redeem those under the law that we may receive the adoption of sonship. So we see the timing, we see the mission, we see the method, and now the purpose. The purpose that Jesus came was to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption of sonship. Now, it uses a word that we don't use often. You may use it in 
shopping, you say, I want to redeem a coupon. This word redeem is really a theological word, and, uh, but it's used in trade and transaction. Uh, the word redeem means to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. It means to buy back that which has been lost. Oh, that's powerful. Don't lose it. Listen, when we like to say uh, we are the redeemed, or we like to say that person experienced redemption, and we don't always understand the full implications of this word, but it means to gain back or to buy back with payment. Hear me well, this is powerful. God created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were lost to sin and transgression. Jesus came to buy back that which had been lost. You know, it's one thing when you go and you buy something for the first time that's new. But this is more than that. This is something that I owned that I lost, and that I go back and buy again because I believe it's of such value and such worth that I buy it back again. I had it, I lost it, I buy it back again. That's called redemption. And so the Bible tells us that he came to redeem those under the law. What is the law? The law is the moral law of God. The law is... Um, how it's God's standard of perfection written in a rule book that the Jewish people were under that no one could attain. Everybody broke the law. And so God set a standard of perfection that everybody fell short of over and over. All of us here have fallen short of God's standard of perfection. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one could measure up to that standard of perfection. So therefore, that standard of perfection condemned us and we became slaves to sin. And, and, and what he tells us is that Jesus came because we were under the law of condemnation. Jesus came to redeem us from the condemnation that we would experience so that we could have freedom and forgiveness through him. Wow, it makes me want to shout. It makes me want to say hallelujah. It makes me want to say I am part of the redeemed because God viewed me, loved me so much that he paid a price for me and you. I'm talking about Christmas. I'm talking about the perfect timing. I'm talking about what this means. I want you to stay with me here. He came to purchase us Listen, the imagery that we have here is he came to purchase us out of the slave market. Notice that he uses this imagery that we have been, we have been bought, redeemed under the law that we may receive the adoption of sons. So that image back in the days of Jesus when this was written there was slavery, and people would go to the slave market, so to speak, and they would buy a slave. And um, a slave was like a piece of property that people could dispose of really how they wanted to dispose of it. And what he's telling us here, don't miss it, don't miss it, is that not only did God buy us off the slave market because we were slaves to sin, 
but he bought us off the slave market, and notice what he says. He not only freed us from sin, bought us off the slave market, but then, wow, get this, don't miss it, and then he took us in and adopted us as his own child. So there is not only a buying of us back from sin, liberating us from slavery, but there's an adoption of us as sons and daughters of the Most High God. You have not just been set free from the condemnation of sin and hell, but more than that, it's not like, oh, I, I got hell insurance here, but, but, but I'm just kind of thankful for that. But, but we've been liberated from condemnation, but we've been adopted into sonship. There's a powerful dual punch. Man, if you're a believer here, that makes you want to shout hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You have been set free, but more than that, you've been adopted into the family of God through the purposes of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that every human being, yeah, every human being in a sense is a child of God in the sense that we are his offspring. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 28 through 29 tells us that. Yet not every human being is a child of God in the sense of being adopted and born of God. Uh, that is something that has to happen. We are all God's creation, but we are not all God's technically children adopted by God. And then number five and lastly, I close with this, the reason. I'm talking about God's perfect timing for sending Jesus. The reason, verse six says, because you are his sons, because we've been adopted and redeemed, God sent the spirit, capital S, of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. I love this passage because it tells us the reason that we're redeemed. It tells us that God has sent the spirit of his son. That's the Holy Spirit. He's purchased us, bought us. There was only one way to pay the price, by the way. Your good works wouldn't suffice religiosity wouldn't suffice, fasting and prayer can't make you clean. There was only one way. If there had been multiple ways, God would have chosen another way. There was no plan B, C, or D. There was only one way, and that was that the perfect Lamb of God, God himself, would have to pay the price that you and I could not pay. Jesus, if he, if he would have had one sin, could not have died on our behalf. He was the perfect, sinless Lamb of God that 33 years after his birth died on a cross to pay a price that you and I could not pay, to redeem us from the slave market of sin so that we could be adopted as sons of and daughters of his, and then he put his Holy Spirit inside of us, listen, the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, and that Spirit inside of us calls out, Abba, Father. Now, what does Abba mean? Well, it's not a rock band from the 70s, by the way. It is an Aramaic word that is affectionate 
and diminutive for father used in the intimate circle of a family. In other words, daddy. Yeah, that's it. God's spirit has come inside of us in such a way and brought us into so close relationship with God the Father as adopted sons and daughters that now the relationship that we have with God is that the spirit inside of us calls us to look at him not as our creator but to say, Daddy. I love that. Jesus came to redeem us and change us, put our spirit inside of us so we walk in such closeness with God that we can say, Daddy, Daddy. That's what, the spirit, that's what the Bible tells us. Jesus addresses God the Father as Daddy or Abba when he prayed to the Father in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, and he's put that same spirit inside of us that we cry, Daddy, Daddy. Uh, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of the Most High God. So he says, lastly, you are no longer a slave, but a child of God. And since you are a child, God has made you an heir. That means all the riches of God all his inheritance, all our future is tied in with God. He's made us adopted sons and daughters, and he hasn't said, hey, I'm going to adopt you, but you're not going to have any part of my inheritance. He's adopted us and given us in our inheritance, which means an eternal life with God. It means that all that God has, he's saying, I'm giving it to you, my peace, my love, my joy, my eternal future. It's all yours because I'm your father and you're my son. That's why Jesus came. That's his perfect timing. No longer slaves, but sons and daughters of the Most High God. I know that I've covered a lot of stuff today. And I know that if you came to just hear a feel-good message about magis, a star, and a baby that you got a theological uh, education this morning about the incarnation of Christ. But I believe that you need to understand the deeper message behind the manger, the timing of Christ and redemption. So if you are not a believer yet, if it's all been about a manger and a Christmas tree, I want you to know that Jesus came to buy you off the slave market of sin adopt you so that you could have an intimate relationship with God and your sins could be forgiven. But it takes, that gift is only given to those that are willing to say, yes, I receive that gift and you receive it by believing the message, by repenting and saying, I no longer want to walk the way I'm living and by surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. If you've never done that, then today is your day. I would not let this Christmas go by without surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. And if you're a believer today and you've been living more like a slave than a son or daughter, 
And today I hope that you grasp the message of why Jesus came, that you would stop living like a slave, mastered by sin, or someone alienated from God, or God up in the heaven just ready to pronounce judgment, and I hope that your relationship would transition to understand that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, and that it would be daddy, daddy. I hope that God restores a spirit of daddy within your spirit, even during this Christmas season. Father, I pray for the words that I spoke, the message based out of your word, that it would land on hearts that receive it, God. I pray in Jesus' name that you would restore daddy to the lips of Christians that are listening to me right now, men and women who need to embrace that relationship. Restore that, Father, the spirit of daddy. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.